There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, I've got the former junior middleweight champion, DAZN broadcaster, Sergio, the Latin snake, Mora. We are both in Indio, California for Jojo Diaz's 130-pound title fence. That is Saturday on DAZN. We talk about that fight. We talk about a terrific co-main event between Patrick Teixeira and Brian Castaño. Also, Joe Smith, his fight just fell apart against Maxime Vlasov because Vlasov tested positive for COVID. I talked to Sergio about what Smith might be feeling right now. And the back and forth between Deontay Wilder and Mark Breland, it has gotten intense over the last week or so. We talk about what's going on between those two at the moment. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right. On to the show. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? All the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, we are back on the road, this time in Indio, California, the site of Jojo Diaz, uh, his 130-pound title defense uh, on Saturday. That's a fight you can see live on DAZN. Joining me, my guest this week, he's back, my broadcast partner slash nemesis slash frenemy, Sergio the Latin Snake Mora, the former junior middleweight champion. What's up, man? Did you sanitize this mic? I did. It COVID free? COVID free. Because it kind of smells like saliva. <laughs> not does not smell like saliva. It's a brand new microphone. It better be new. Okay. All right. Um, few things I want to get into this weekend, but we have to talk first, Sergio, about the breaking news in Vegas, where Maxime Vlasov, who was scheduled to face Joe Smith. For the WBO 175-pound title, he tested positive for COVID-19. I mean, it comes with the territory nowadays in this past year. Stuff like this happens. But, man, my first reaction was just feeling terrible for Joe Smith. I mean, this was and eventually will be his big moment. This is a guy that's had good talent but has had some unlucky breaks, whether it's breaking his jaw against Sullivan Barrera. He was outclassed by Dimitri Bivol. This was a fight that he was favored in, and if he had won, it would have set up a big fight against Archer Betterbiev at some point in the summer. Now, it might not be too long a delay, although I was reading a tweet from our friend Christina Poncher over at Top Rank and ESPN, and she said she talked to Smith, and Smith was basing his entire schedule around this date. He's got a wedding coming up, mm. his wedding coming up in a month, so his entire 
timetable is now completely screwed up. You know, you never know how he's going to, you know, is he gonna, when's he going to get back into training, when they're going to reschedule the fight, all that. But as a fighter, Sergio, I know you didn't have to go something, go through something like COVID, but as a fighter, I mean, how crushing is this to lose out on a fight 24, 48 hours before it's supposed to happen? Every fighter, every every fighter that has been doing this for as long as we have, you know, uh, has had these heartbreaking cancellations. I've I've gone through them several times. I I can tell you the worst one, and it was I I think I was like eleven or twelve and zero before the contender. I was going to fight on NBC, and a week or ten days before that fight, I got a cut in sparring, and it was going to be my first televised fight on NBC. Couldn't do it. I've had injuries. I've had big fights canceled. Kasimuma, that was, you know, a, a significant amount of money that I did not, you know, get because uh, the main event of that, I think it was Marquez injured or, or his opponent injured his hand. It's part of the territory. You know, it's part of the territory. You know, you got to you gotta stay focused and you got to understand that it's a business and it's a, it's a hurt business. It's a physical business. You're bound to get hurt. You know when you're when you're training and sparring so hard, but whenever it's something like COVID, this is a dangerous enemy, an invisible enemy that we've never had to experience, and that's why we're doing all this, you know, COVID testing and, and trying to take as many precautions. But you know, it, it's it's you can't take that many precautions. You want to make God laugh, Mannix? You tell him your plans. So I feel bad for you know Mrs. Smith or the future Mrs. Smith having to postpone a special day like a wedding. But wait, wait, you're, you're thinking he's gonna postpone the wedding? Yeah. <laughs> What you're telling me he's not gonna do it? Absolutely, he's gonna postpone it. I mean, if if he's not gonna be fighting and and he's gonna be fighting what in a couple of months from now, he's not gonna have the 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 wedding and training camp. I don't think he wanted to have a fight then going to his next. How would fight. that go over in your house if you if put yourself in Joe Smith's shoes and make his wife your wife? What what would how would she respond? Do you say I'm gonna put off the wedding you know for a few months, honey? Because yeah, we invited people. It's probably a decent sized wedding. Uh, in New York, well, how would your wife react? Oh, she will kill me. <laughs> but I'm not Joe Smith Jr. No, you have to put it off because say they're going to get married next month, right? They give them another fight. Something else pops up. Then training camp and the honeymoon doesn't mix. It just doesn't mix, man. You're not married and you don't know how that is. But no, I would, I would hold that off until after the fight, after the celebration. Then you can go off, get married, honeymoon, then come back, regroup, and have the big fight with the big names. All right. Well, I'm curious to see how this all plays out because that would be a bold move by Joe Smith to put off his wedding to get this, uh, this fight. It is a title fight. It's Don't sacrifice, man. It's a sacrifice. It. It's all it. about sacrificing what's most important to become a champion, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's a job or your wife. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the fight this weekend. And we'll begin with the main event. Joseph Diaz against Shavkazan Rakimov, uh, Rakimov is the IBF mandatory uh, for Diaz. Uh, this is JoJo's first fight since winning the title off Tevin Farmer about 13 months ago. Um, I guess let me ask you first about the Farmer stuff, Sergio, because Farmer's pretty pissed off that Diaz isn't fighting him. From Farmer's perspective, he gave Diaz the title opportunity. In the documentation, in the contract, there was a rematch clause as often happens with optional title defenses. Uh, the pandemic hits, things change, and JoJo's position, which clearly won out, is that the contract ran out, and if Tevin wants the fight, he has to make... No, JoJo needs to be paid more money for that fight. You've been involved in optional defenses. You've gone down this path before. What was your takeaway from how this all played out? It's smart for every champion, uh whether they think they're going to have a soft defense or a difficult defense, just put it, just in case something happens, put a rematch clause. Vernon Forrest did that with me, and I was stuck in that immediate rematch. And sure enough, I only kept the title for not even four months because I was obligated, Mannix, to you know fight this man again. And and the rest is history. So it, it's, I don't know if it's hubris or arrogance or overconfidence on Tevin Farmer or his team. Or Lou DiBella, which I doubt because, you know, he, he he knows this game, not to put it in the contract. Not only that, you know, uh, uh, 
that what what's that word that Latin word force majeure and 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 we're talking about that that you know there's there's a certain amount of time or in case something happens out of uh, out of someone's control or God's disaster or something like that you don't have to fight that that's thrown in there as well so I'm not a lawyer and I don't know any stipulations or anything like that but if you can get out of a contract Jojo Diaz did the right thing trust me man I love the fact that he's he's doing a a, a defense which is still going to be a difficult defense physically it's probably going to be a more physical fight than Tevin Farmer is but it's not going to be as 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 mentally uh, draining and 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 of course Farmer's going to be motivated to get his, his title back it, it's still you know it, it, it's a difficult thing man and I feel for Farmer but you had to put in the contract. It's pretty clear now to me, based on this and what happened with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, that these contracts do not have the right language in them, that they do not have language that protects a fighter from something like this. Now, who could have predicted we'd be in the middle of a global pandemic right. this time last year? I mean, it's not something that happens all that often in world history. But I think moving forward, every fighter should include language in a contract that says, look, if something comes up that changes the world, the contract pauses. You can't get out of your obligations because something happened. But JoJo took advantage of, you know, an opportunity, and here he is getting the fight that he wants. So Good for him. And I, yep. I kind of, excuse me, I kind of praise uh, JoJo Diaz for that. Because, you know, we, we, I've seen JoJo Diaz since he was a kid. 10 years old, 12 years old in South Almani gyms. And uh, I know the road he had to take to get to this point. So finally he wins a world title. Finally he's the champion. Finally he's going to make some real money. And if the business is not right and he's not satisfied to defend uh, his title, whether whether it's for other reasons or, or whatnot, I'm glad he did it. It's the choice of a champion. He got that far to get to the position he's in. Now he calls the shots. I love him, man. From a 12-year-old kid in South Almonte to, you know, a, a world champion calling the shots. You know, you got to respect it. Yeah. And he's now got an opportunity to defend that title in the fight that he wants against a guy that something of an unknown in Rockamoff. He's undefeated. He's got 12 knockouts on his resume. Um, but a lot of his fights, the vast majority, except for one, I believe, have been in Russia. Uh, he hasn't fought anybody of note, at least not anybody in their prime uh, of note. And he's going up against a guy in Diaz. And, you know, say what you want about Diaz, but he's fought real competition. His only loss came against Gary Russell. He's fought some very good opponents over the course of his career. Just coming off a win against one of the best opponents of his career. So how, I mean, how difficult a test is this? Uh, how do you how do you see Rakimov as a threat? Rakimov is a big threat, and not only because he's a pressure power puncher, but he has this sneaky left hand to the body that, you know, I, I was watching tapes on him just today, actually. It's one of these shots. First of all, he's a southpaw, all right? So both these fighters are southpaws, and left-handers hate fighting other left-handers because they don't have the advantage of being the left-hander. So that's one thing. that It's awkward. And two, uh, this Rakimov is is strong. Like you mentioned, 12 knockouts and 15 fights, but he's strong with... with, with uh, with the body shots as well. So he's been, he's dropped, you know, in his last fight, he dropped a Zynga with a body shot. He dropped Castellanos with a body shot. Same thing. It's left. It's a left hand that looks like a, a an uppercut slash hook, but it catches you right there and, and you're forced to drop. I can see him hitting uh, Jojo with that shot as well. Um, it's it's going to be a very difficult fight for Diaz. I'm telling you, because he doesn't have the power to keep this, this pressure fighter, this hard, hard handed uh, uh, puncher, uh, off him with a power so it's going to have to be volume it's going to have to ring, ring generalship and not letting him uh, uh come forward so easily so so jojo's going to have to get some respect and and that's why it's going to be a fun fight yeah i think it's going to be a fun fight too and look i i you're not going to dismiss rock him off as a threat i mean the guy's got a legit record but i just think there are levels to this game man like and diaz is an ex-Olympian with good quality wins on his resume. And I was going back and watching Diaz-Gary Russell. Gary Russell won that fight, but Diaz more than held his own. And, oh, definitely, yeah. And yeah. especially, I, what I liked about Diaz in that fight was the poise that he showed. I mean, Russell early on looked like he was going to have such a huge advantage with hand speed and that he was just going to pick Diaz apart. But Diaz kept his focus, kept applying pressure, landed big shots. I mean, Gary Russell is just really good. And that's why he won that fight, not because Diaz is a lesser fighter. Then he goes out and basically dominates... Tevin Farmer, who was on, what, a four or five fight winning streak coming into that, you know, was being talked about as an opponent for, uh, you know, whether it's Javante uh, Davis or Lomachenko, a bunch of other guys. So I think there are levels. I think Diaz is a level above Rakimov at this point. 
No, there are levels, and he is a level above, but there's levels in power too. And and if that's the case, Rakimov is you know three, four levels above in power. He has very heavy hands from that left-handed stance, especially with that left hand. Uh, it's going to be interesting if JoJo can't keep him off with volume and, and, and combinations, which he's excellent at. I mean, JoJo goes down to the body nicely too, uppercuts, left hands. Um, but you do need to get your opponent's respect or else he'll keep coming after you, especially uh, Rocky Mob. He, he knows no other way. He doesn't go backwards. He's not clumsy either. He steps back when he needs to, but then he continues applying pressure. Uh, if, if JoJo can't get respect, Rocky Mob will uh, trap him every time he gets, get him against the ropes, and, and it's not going to be a good look. JoJo's going to be fighting every minute of every round unless he can hurt Rocky Mob. Let me ask you the one bit of controversy around this fight in his last fight the ibf eliminator uh rakimov was caught on video mm -hmm. uh, receiving what looked like smelling salts after yeah. i believe the seventh round he went out and eventually knocked out his opponent to earn this opportunity now there was a uh a contention from uh, the other side to the ibf a protest to the ibf about that, and I checked in with the IBF this week, Sergio, and I asked them, you know, why didn't you, uh, you know, remove Rakimov from uh, this position? And the response I got was, one, the IBF cannot overturn uh, the outcome of a fight. So that's part of it. And they said when they asked for an explanation that, you know, the other side said it was smelling salts, Rakimov's side said it was adrenaline, and because neither one could really prove it one way or the other, the appeals board allowed it to go forward. You've seen the video. Everybody's seen the video by now. Jojo Diaz has commented about this extensively. Uh, he's not happy with how that went down uh, with Rakimov. For people that don't know, how big a deal is it for a fighter to potentially, allegedly, be receiving smelling salts in between rounds it's a big deal and that's why they're they're outlawed they're, you're not supposed it's a banned substance now i mean this ain't the 1950s you know back when you could actually do that it, it, it oh it i've never smelled it but i smelled adrenaline adrenaline smells bad as well but it doesn't make you shake your head like a smelling salt would that i would appear would so i i think that was you know very shady not only that they they actually found uh peds in his manager's dressing room or in his dressing room after he checked out some like that that's a bad look as well uh, the manager took the fall for that but it's just it's it something smells wrong and for me looking at that tape and i and i believe the very next round is when he got the the knockout of of a uh, uh, zinga fuzili so it's just all all around it's a bad look you know because you don't you don't shake your head like that if it's not something that potent and that powerful and so you've smelled adrenaline before though i right? smelled adrenaline and it it smells bad just like you know kind of alcohol smells bad rubbing alcohol or other things but not where it makes you shake your head like like it did with with rocky mob that looked and I, you know, I, there's no other way we can, you know, picture it. It looked like it was smelling salt. He shook his head. He grimaced in, in disgust or whatever that smell is. And it was just a bad look. Yeah. I, I've had smelling salts before. That's what you do. Like right. that reaction. I've never had adrenaline, so I can't compare it. But uh, that looked to me like a reaction to smelling salts. But I guess the official ruling from the IBF is that since nobody could really prove it one way or the other, they allowed Rakimov to retain his place as the mandatory, and that's why we are here uh, right now. Okay, let's talk about the co-main event here, which I think has the potential to steal the show. Patrick Teixeira defending his WBO junior middleweight title against Brian Castaño. Castaño, a very good fighter, only one blemish on his resume. That was a draw against Arislandi Lara in a fight that many people, myself included, thought he won. So a very good fighter. On the other side, you've got Teixeira, who a lot of people probably know as the guy that Curtis Stevens knocked out in the second round of their fight on HBO, but he's also the guy that engaged in and won a bloody war with Carlos Adamas in his last fight to win this title. So give me your, your, your evaluation of this matchup. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's a it's a sneaky uh, firefight. It's not even sneaky. It's a firefight. It's, man. This is a straight up firefight. And, and here's the thing: uh, the B sides, the favorite 
in the books in the odds maker you know castaño's the favorite to win the fight but the cha- the champion the 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 promoters the promoters fighter tashira is actually the undercard that says a lot of how good castaño is and i've been watching tape on castaño he's very athletic with his feet very strong he's heavy-handed as well uh but he knows how to fight small just He's he's got, he's the same height as Curtis Stevens, who knocked out Tashira, uh, five five foot seven, but he fights a lot niftier on his feet, a lot a lot more athletic than Stevens. Stevens just you know stands in front of you and 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 hands up and he checks you with that fast powerful left hook, but you can easily out box and out punch a, a Curtis Stevens. You're not going to be able to out box and out punch Castaño. He's sneaky. He's athletic. He gets angles. He knows how to fight small. He knows how to loop his shots in a in a fast athletic manner and then defend. And he has fast feet. He has athletic feet. So even if he falls off balance or misses a shot because he's going to be the, the smaller fighter, he's athletic enough to get back in position and get another angle and start the attack from there. Tashiro's not that athletic, Maddox. I'm telling you. He's he's tall. He's lanky. He's strong, especially recently. He's been showing his fortitude, how, how, how aggressive he can get and be more exciting. But he's kind of clumsy with his athleticism or, or his speed. And, and when he misses punches, he doesn't look as, as on balance. And that's normally how it is with taller fighters, kind of like giraffes. Have you ever seen a giraffe trying to drink water? <laughs> it's the darkest thing you'll ever see. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's advantages to being that tall and there's disadvantages. If you know how to fight small, like a lot of great small fighters are adapted and evolved to, and it's hard to fight short fighters. I hated fighting short fighters. I hated it. I'd much rather fight a guy that was five inches taller than me, which I did, than a guy that was five foot, uh, five inches shorter than me. It was just so, it's just an ugly feeling for me. So for Teixeira, it might be the exact same thing if, if he might have a problem with five foot seven fighters because Curtis Stevens knocked them out and we'll see what happens uh, this Saturday. Yeah, but I mean, we talked about this on jabs this week. Like Castaño is a good puncher, but Curtis Stevens is a great puncher. And that fight was contested at middleweight where Teixeira is clearly not as comfortable and probably not as powerful with as much punch resistance. And it wasn't like Teixeira took this heavy beating. He got caught with one big overhand right that put him down. Oh, look, he got up, but he was way too dazed to continue that fight. I don't think Castaño, I'll put it this way, I don't think Castaño has the ability, any more of the ability to do it than Carlos Adamas does. And that's my question for you. I mean, you've clearly watched Teixeira versus Adamas right now. That was a different Patrick Teixeira. That was not the guy that I've seen look pretty good, but not great. That was a guy that was taking a beating for like five and a half rounds. He had cuts under both eyes. One of the nastiest looking faces for a fight that was allowed to continue that I've ever seen. And he goes out and wins the second half of that fight, knocks Adamas down, who was undefeated, a big puncher in his own right, and wins the title that way. You know this happens with fighter Sergio. You've probably done it yourself, where there's a moment where you kind of turn a corner and you become something different. That was a fight that looked like Patrick Teixeira trained harder for, was more prepared for, wanted more. That tells me that this guy might just be entering a new phase of his career. You never know how you're going to react when you get knocked down or when you have cuts or when you get hurt or when you have multi-cuts. The funny thing about bleeding that much, and I've been I've been bloody like that plenty of times in my career with terrible cuts. It's it's a it's it's a feeling you're not accustomed to the blood going into your eye, the stinging into your eye, and then the Vaseline sticking your eyelashes together. You can't see the blood gets inside your eye, so then you have cloudy uh, vision, like you're looking underwater. It, and then you have a guy trying to take your head off, coming forward, try, punching at you. It it really shows character in a fighter. It's kind of like a graduation for a fighter when he can get past a cut or a knockdown because you don't train for that. You don't train. You don't spar and do you know uh, put fake blood on you and say okay, well I'll go spar another round. You don't train for that. So it's a surprise for everybody how you're going to react. And Teixeira is a surprise for him too, and he passed the test with flying colors because of that. And that makes you a better fighter because you went through that that adversity already. You know how to react towards it, and you know you have that meanness in you. Some guys don't have that they they can how many times have you seen a fighter go back to his corner with a cut that was nowhere near as to share a bad and they'll they'll call in the doctor and they say they can't see i can't see and then they'll force to stop it that's a form of quitting mm-hmm. in my opinion and that's a that's also a form of, of really knowing what kind of character that fighter has 
to sure pass that with flying colors and that's the reason we're talking about him. we've seen this meanness in this tall lanky fighter that we're kind of questioning whether he's tough or not he's a tough sob yeah and i love this fight for every possible reason it's an evenly matched fight i think it's going to be a good style matchup a legitimate world titles on the line and a seven-figure payday against jermel charlo for a title unification could be on the line as well i mean Teixeira, he is aligned with Golden Boy, but they can make a deal with uh, Jermel Charlo to have a unification fight. Castaño's over on the PBC side uh, as well, so that's an easy fight to make. I mean, there, there's, it, you know, both these guys should be coming in with more motivation than they've ever had in their career. Especially Castaño, I was reading his uh, bio. You know, he comes from a fighting family. His brothers, his father was a welterweight fighter. It's also Brazil versus Argentina. And it's like I, that's. I, a, I was getting there, man. Right, I, I was getting there too. All right, so it's kind of a rivalry there. And then also the, the there's a big there's a big piece here missing. Uh, Castaño beat Sergey Dervinchenko in a World Series of boxing, yep. quasi professionally. That was a war. Watch that fight. Adame, I did three rounds. Adamas yeah. and Teixeira's uh, and Teixeira. That one's fun too. But this is this is on a higher end. A fun fight. It was a fire fight. It was a. It was three a, rounds though. It was five. Was it five? It was five oh, rounds. Oh. And man, I enjoyed that fight. And we know what Sergey Dervinchenko did with. Uh, Golovkin, you know, so that just goes to show you how good of a fighter this Castaño really is. Oh, it's a good fight. Great. Two really good fighters. And to the winner will go the spoils. Um, before we finish up here, Sergio, I got to get your take on what the hell is going on between Deontay Wilder and Mark Breland. If you've been living under a rock, well, look, if you listen to this podcast, you know the story behind Deontay Wilder and Mark Breland. But to recap it, Deontay Wilder accused Mark Breland of spiking his water, fired him as his trainer. And in the last week or so, they have had a public back and forth with Breland coming out uh, for the first time, his first extended comments, uh, effectively saying, A, I didn't do it, and B, Deontay Wilder doesn't work hard, doesn't train hard, and he's not sure if Deontay Wilder will ever win a big fight ever again. Wilder's turned around and kind of bizarrely said, "Why? why is Mark Breland criticizing me? Well, probably criticizing you, Deontay, because you basically accused him of cheating for Tyson Fury, of being a part of Team Fury. What what have you made of this kind of, this, this strange back and forth? The bigger the fighter, the bigger the ego. And fighters all have egos, but at heavyweight, when you're, you know, when 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 you're as charismatic as as and powerful as Deontay Wilder, I mean, you're six foot six. You're, you have the highest knockout ratio in boxing. Everywhere you go, you bomb squad, and you want attention. And you and guess what? You deserve it. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, knocking out everyone. Then finally, you meet your match, and you get outboxed the first time. The second time, you get beat up and knocked out and embarrassed, where your own corner has to stop the fight. Imagine the impact, the, the damage to that huge ego of Deontay Wilder. That's why certain fighters that they, they don't come back from that mentally. They don't come back from that because they they the the reason they were able to do what they did because they felt unstoppable. And then finally, when you feel like okay, I'm human now, you lose that. A lot of heavyweights have had that. It, it's like Mike Tyson. Once he once one person beat him, then there was the invincibility is gone. And then that's when you start to see him as human. And other fighters start you know, beating you down and knocking you out. That's what's going to happen to Deontay Wilder. I don't know if he's going to have enough career left. He's you know, in his mid-30s already. And mentally, if he can't go out there and crush the next person, if he struggles with the next uh, fighter, if he ever does fight again, uh, I, I, just don't, I just don't think we'll see the old Wilder again. And when it comes to Mark Breland, to answer your question, he's a respectable world champion, one of the finest amateurs ever, gold medalist for the United States, and a respectable trainer. With a resume like that, you don't, I can say shit here, right? Sure. You don't shit on a resume like that. You don't shit on a man's legacy like that. You don't blemish, you know, or, 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 or you know, try to darken someone's past like that. This is a man who makes a living off his reputation, off his name, which is, which is a great, you know, you know, past, you know, champion and, 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 and what he's doing as a trainer. You don't do that with your first with your first big lock, knockout loss because he has the best interest in you because he stops the fight because he, as a fighter himself, who's been stopped, who's been on the on the other side of getting beaten up, he knows where you're headed. He knows he should have stopped the fight. And he did as the fighter. As the only one in that corner who actually knows what they're doing and seeing, 
respectfully, he stopped the fight, but yet there's the other guy, the other trainer who never been a fighter, who re, who who hates that decision and, and wishes that Wilder would have got even more beat up. It, it's foolish, it's stupid, it's, it's, it's prideful, and Wilder shows his character on how he's acting, how, how all this unfolded. It, it's just sad. The upside for Mark Breland is I don't know anybody in boxing that believes the story, that thinks that Mark Breland was some kind of secret agent for Tyson Fury and spiked Deontay Wilder's water. Just like nobody really believes that Deontay Wilder wearing 45 pounds of you know, an outfit on the ring walk had anything to do with the fact that he lost to Tyson Fury. Or, Mark, or, or, or that rock or pebble that they put in the glove or whatever, whatever. he said, yeah, the, the, the X size. Conspiracy theories are almost never true. And this, this isn't just even like one conspiracy theory. It's like three all wrapped in one. And the Mark Breland one is the most preposterous. Mark Breland has been part of Team Wilder from the very beginning. I don't know the financials when it comes to Team Wilder, how much Breland is getting paid, but it's probably a decent amount, and it probably grows the more success Deontay Wilder has. There is no logical explanation for why Mark Breland would try to sabotage a title fight against Tyson Fury for Deontay Wilder. There is literally none, unless this is like a Sonny Liston thing, where it's like Mark Breland is you know, allegedly in debt to the mob and he's taking a dot. <laughs> like, that's the only explanation yeah. <laughs> that, that something like that could be happening. But it's just, it's bonkers. Tyson, like Deontay Wilder, it's been shown repeatedly in the past that Deontay Wilder is capable of being outboxed. Luis Ortiz outboxed him twice. He just got knocked out at the very end. So Tyson Fury outboxing Deontay Wilder, not a surprise. And the fact that Fury was able to bully him, well... If there was like a body of work where Wilder has fought a bunch of guys like Fury and had success against them, maybe I'd understand, you know, something being wrong with Wilder, but Fury was unique to, to him. And look, Breland brought this point up, and I agree with him. Deontay's got, you know, one win, one good win, and that's Luis Ortiz, Luis Ortiz. twice. Right. Beat him right. twice. Beyond that, what is there? There's a Dominic Brazil one-punch knockout. There's a handful of other fights that are okay at best. It, it's just... Deontay was beaten by a better fighter. Not to say that if they ever fought again, Deontay couldn't win because we saw in the first fight, Tyson Fury knocked down twice. He still has shown to be a little bit chinny in the past. It could happen. But right now, Tyson Fury looks like the far superior fighter. And that has nothing to do with Mark Breland. Nothing, Sergio. No, no, no. Fury knows how to fight like a, like a you know, Middle middleweight, he he can he has the agility of a of a lighter fighter, and he has the strength and the power and the size, obviously, of a of a super heavyweight. That's that's rare to be that athletic and that strong, that confident, that powerful. And he matched he matched Deontay Wilder on on charisma and and you know where Wilder used to be and promote his own fights and you know yell bomb squad everywhere he went and demanded attention. Well, guess what? <laughs> now you met your match when when it comes to someone that could equally as you know be as successful promoting himself. So not only did he outfight him, outbox him, but outpromoted him, outshined him, took his swag. That's that's debilitating if that's the word, but that's dispiriting, demeaning. I don't know, one of those D's, Mannix, but that's what's happening with D. Wilder right there. He got crushed. And I'm going to quote Ernest Hemingway for you. A man could be, a uh, man is not made for defeat, Mannix. He can be destroyed, but not defeated. Wilder got destroyed and he doesn't like it. All right, we're going to end this podcast on that note because I, I don't believe for a second that was Ernest Hemingway. Like, and if it was, it was Ernest Hemingway drunk and, you know, Mixing his metaphors. <laughs> I don't believe that you accurately quoted Ernest Hemingway. I just don't. You never believe me. Siri, did I quote him correctly? No. When we come back, my conversation with Jojo Diaz. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. 
This is Freddie Prinze Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's been a little over a year since Jojo Diaz won a 130-pound title, outpointing Tevin Farmer to win his first major championship on Saturday night. Diaz is back, defending that belt against Shavkazan Rakimov. It's a fight you can see live on DAZN. If Diaz wins, a lot of possibilities for him in the 130-pound division. And Jojo, kind enough to join me here on the show. Over a year, Jojo. Anxious to get back in the ring? Super anxious, Chris. I'm very, very fortunate that I was able to, you know, have my newborn son being born and my family, everybody's staying safe. I'm staying safe and staying on what's going on with the world. But now that I'm able to finally defend my title, I'm, I'm anxious to go in there, man. It's against a tough fighter, uh, against Rockamoff. He's a great fighter, but I'm ready to go out there and make a statement show, and showcase to everybody why I am the 130-pound IBF champion. So just talk to me about what the last year has been like for you. I mean, you get the title, the biggest win of your career, and I'm sure you were expecting 2020 to be a big year. I thought 2020 was going to be a really, really big year for myself and for my career. After defeating Tevin Farmer in January, I thought I was going to fight at least twice uh, in 2020. Uh, But unfortunately, you know, COVID happened. uh, Things prolonged it. But it was actually a, um, a win-win for me, man. I think that uh, the break for, from, from boxing was very, very beneficial for me. I've been fighting as a professional fighter for eight years now. So my body has been going through, you know, taking a lot of toll and uh, just both physically and mentally. So a year off from boxing was much needed for myself just to, you know, fully recover and just, you know, to get things right. And during that time, I was also able to, you know, take care of my my, my, my baby that was pregnant and making sure that my newborn son was uh, 110% healthy uh, throughout the whole pregnancy. I was kind of, you know, able to live life normal uh, and just enjoy my break and just uh, make sure that I was, you know, um, just taking care of my kid because that was like my main, main priority. And once I got this fight date and once my kid came out, I had a four-month training camp trained very, very hard, and uh, I mean, I'm ready to go out there and showcase to everybody that I'm the best 130-pound fighter February 13th. How has fatherhood changed you? Man, fatherhood's changed me a lot, just uh, (laughs) mentally mostly, mentally mostly, just knowing that it's not only myself now. It's not only myself now. I got to take care of my family. I got to make sure that, you know, I'm making the right moves and do what I got to do inside that ring so that way my son can have a better life. So you have had what would describe as two defining fights in your career at this point. The loss to Gary Russell at 126 and the win over Tevin Farmer giving your first title at 130. Tell me the difference between Jojo Diaz who lost the Russell fight and the one that beat Tevin Farmer. 
the fight against uh, Gary Russell Jr., I feel like I was just inexperienced and I was still uh, in my youth. I didn't have that knowledge inside that ring that I needed to to overcome Gary Russell that night. I feel like, uh, you know, that loss made me realize what I needed to do inside that ring to, you know, be victorious uh, after my after five fights. Um, that, that loss really made me realize that boxing is a very, very tough sport and it's sink or swim. So whenever you're, get, you're getting an op- given an opportunity, you really got to take advantage of it and you really got to grasp that moment. And I feel like with the Gary Russell fight, I wasn't grasping that moment. I didn't. I wasn't taking as much chances and as much risks as I should have that night. And that's why I, 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 I was, you know, not victorious because I, I let him off. I let him off the pedal where I feel like if I would have just applied a little more pressure, opened up, I would have been able to be victorious that night. But, I mean, everything happens for a reason. I learned a lot. And uh, – after that, after that fight, man, it just made me, you know, more mature and realize what I have to do to overcome, you know, any adversity that is put in front of me uh, inside that ring fighting night. You know, you got the championship around your waist now, and I'm sure that's a source of pride for you. But one thing I was thinking about this week was like that 2012 Olympic team. Like you guys got killed at the time, you know, called like the worst Olympic team ever. I was in London covering you in that moment. I probably, you know, wrote some of those stories. Like, you know, first Olymp- men's Olympic team to not win a gold medal ever. I mean, the, the the negativity, there was a lot of it around that team. Fast forward now nine years, and it's one of the more successful U.S. Olympic teams. You have a world title. Errol Spence has a world title. You know, you know uh, Jamel Herring has a world title. Clarissa Shields. I mean, I think everybody... Everybody except for, I think, Queen Underwood has fought for a world title at the very least. I mean, when you look back now at how far that team has come, what do you think about? I always knew that everybody in that team had potential. Um, The thing about us, the 2012 Olympic team, is that we weren't, you know, amateur fighters. We were professional fighters, man. We uh, We would, you know, be more relaxed inside that ring and pick our shots and land, you know, body shots and land head shots and fight more like a pro. And I think, um, I mean, whenever we had professional fighters come and, uh, you know, train with us, getting ready for the Olympics, man, we would put hands on everybody. Errol Spence was putting hands on everybody. I was putting hands on everybody. Jose Ramirez, Jamal Herring. I mean, we all had that type of professional style already that we knew that we were going to be successful in the pro ranks. So I'm just very, very, you know, Happy seeing that Earl Spence, Jose Ramirez, Jamal Herring, Rashid Warren, Marcus Brown, Dominic Brazil, all these guys, man, are still pursuing their their dreams and they're still, you know, fighters to this day. It's amazing, man. It's amazing seeing how much success that they've achieved throughout the years. And I'm I'm just uh, excited to be part of that team because, yeah, we weren't we didn't get that many medals, man, but we for, for sure are are really halibut fighters, that's for damn sure. Is there like a 2012 Olympic text chain that exists? Uh, yeah, me and Earl Spence and Jamal Harry, <laughs> Rashid War, we all, Marcus Brown, me and Marcus Brown always, you know, hit each other up. I think um, once everything starts getting cleared up, I think we're going to have like a re- little reunion or maybe go to the Bahamas and get together and, you know, celebrate our, our success. <laughs> 10 year anniversary maybe 2022 laugh at everybody said that you guys weren't going to be uh, all that successful let me ask you about Rakimov um something of an unknown you know not a lot known about him at least in the U.S. Uh, how have you prepared for him yeah I prepared for Rakimov as one of my toughest fighters one of my toughest opponents because this guy he's a very very dangerous fighter a lot of people they don't know about him because you know he's from Pakistan and he's a Russian so his fights don't get aired out over here but he's one hell of an amateur fighter he had a good amateur background and he has a good uh professional uh record as well and he built his way up man he's you know ranked number one in the IBF mandatory and I believe he's in the top 10 uh ranked at 130 so he already made a name for himself and he made a statement and um I, I looked at his tapes and I know that this guy, he's going to, you know, try to come in, try to overwhelm me with his power. But I feel like 
I'm his toughest fight and he's not my toughest fight. I've, I've been here before and I know what I got to do to be victorious. And um, now that I got the belt, man, it's all about, you know, really impressing and really show, showcasing who Joseph Diaz truly is. And come Saturday night, man, whatever he brings to the table, I'm, I'm going to have, you know, uh, Arsenal waiting for him. I'm definitely going to be putting maybe three, four piece chicken McNuggets on him. Uh, come February 13th, that's for sure, man. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, really showcase to everybody what I'm all about and how hard I work to, you know, keep this title around my waist. You know, there was some controversy around Rakimov because of the alleged use of smelling salts in his last fight. It looks pretty clearly on video that he's using something like a smelling salt. The IBF elected to allow him to keep that mandatory position. Um, this is a question I couldn't answer, but like as a fighter... Uh, you know, how big a deal is that? You know, if, if you were going up against him and you found out he was using smelling salts in the corner, what would your reaction have been? It's a, it's, I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, <clears throat> for somebody to even do that in, in, in a professional, in a professional fight, it's, it's cow, it's cowardice, man. It's, 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 it's wrong for you to do something like that, man, to just, you know, have one edge on a fighter. And he was losing that fight. I seen the fight and I seen that he was getting outboxed. And that round, man, where once he got that, you know, that little energy where he was like, woof, he was ready to go. He ended up knocking that boy out. And uh, it's it's not right, man. It's not right for the sport and it's not right for any any fighter because at the end of the day, man, these I'm, I myself am, am risking my life to go inside that ring to entertain the fight fans and to entertain people. And for somebody to, you know, go out and try to, you know, cheat their way to victory is unnecessary and, and it's wrong. And I, and I really don't condone it. And um, I already, you know, made sure that I, I told the, the, the commission and, and my people to make sure that, you know, we get tested and you got to make sure that, you know, they're not sniffing no things in the corner because that, that, can't happen over here and i know that um we'll see if he has that power that he does have uh in this fight than he had in his previous fights because you never know man that all that power might have been because of the substance substances that he's been using yeah and I've, I've been asking the ibf how they why they ruled on that i still haven't gotten a clear response as to why you know there wasn't they even a, a it's, harsher, it's crazy uh, chris because they even found um they even found like peds and a whole bunch in his in his room as well where mm. they they were saying that it was his trainers it's like come on man are you are you serious like you think we're that stupid but at the end of the day man <laughs> he's he's uh in the united states now man and he's dealing with the big dogs now so he can't be around and, and and doing any of that anymore before i let you go um you know this is a new year and i'm sure you're hoping this is the start of a busy year uh, for you. A lot of good fights available at 130. You'd be a, an attractive opponent for anybody. What I see, though, a lot of the top fighters in your weight class on the other side of the proverbial street, I, I kind of wonder, I mean, is Jojo Diaz going to be able to get those fights that he's looking for? How confident are you with, with Golden Boy's ability, with your ability to make fights with top-ranked fighters like a, a Valdez or a Burchelt or Shakur Stevenson, whoever has belts uh, at that time? You know what? I think I, I'm I'm 110% confident that we're gonna get these unification bouts after this fight. I definitely want to fight with Javante Davis, Jamal Herring, Carl Frampton, Miguel Perchado, or Oscar Valdez. Those are the names that I'm gonna be targeting after this fight. I definitely want one of those names for my next fight. Hopefully in May or June. Um, I'm I'm ready to challenge those guys. And now that I have a, a great team behind me and a new advisory uh, team. I feel like Golden Boy is, you know, really respecting us and respecting myself a little more where I think that we're all in good terms and we're, you know, all seriousness and we're all about business. And we really want to, you know, give the five fans what they want to see. And that's unification bouts at 130 and giving the five fans, you know, the best fight and the best. And that's what I want to do, man. I want to be that type of attraction. I want to be the type of fighter that is willing to accept any fight and any name and not be afraid of them and, and, and make sure that I, I give the five fans an entertaining fight, but also showcase to everybody that I'm the best at 130 pounds. So I'm definitely going to be calling out all the champions after this fight. You think you can be the one to lure Gervonta into the ring? Seems like everybody's trying. Nobody seems to be having success. 
Absolutely. I mean, I feel like everybody is trying, but they're not really trying. I think it's just all, all hype and all just, you know, publicity and public stunt. I really think that they don't want to fight Javante Davis because Javante Davis, he's a, he's a, he's a dangerous opponent as well. And it's a dangerous fight for, you know, people that are still on the come up and on the rise. As for myself, I'm a champion, man. And I know that Javante Davis, he's, he's, he's a tough fighter and he's willing to fight the best. And I want to do the same thing, man. So let's get it on. And I, I, I feel like, man, that'll be a really entertaining fight for the fight fans. Joseph Diaz versus Javante Davis. That's the fight that has to be made after this fight. I think it's a terrific fight. No question about it. First up, rack him off. If you face him Saturday, you can watch that fight on DAZN. Also, like, you might have a lot to live up to on your own card, Jojo. That Teixeira Castanio fight could be a war right for you. So it could be a good night for everybody watching boxing here. I know. I've been, uh, I've been uh, you know, watching their highlights too. And these guys are tremendous fighters. It's, it's a great, great stacked card. We got, you know, Ronnie Rios on the card. We got mm-hmm. some new up-and-coming fighters, Evan Sanchez. It's just a stacked card overall, man. So... Like I said, man, I'm going to be watching in, in, in the locker room and just being a fan. But once my fight goes on, it's time to entertain the five fans and do what I do best and show out. No question. No question. Good luck on Saturday, JoJo. Look forward to seeing you out there. Thank you, Chris. Take care. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts